Advent is traditionally a season of waiting. However, with the temperature as it is this morning and in an attempt to minimise the not inconsiderable discomfort that you're all bravely bearing in our Arctic medieval church, I'm going to do my very best not to keep all of you waiting from your warming or perhaps that should be thawing cup of tea or coffee after the service. So my thoughts on our two readings will of necessity or at least compassion be shorter than they might be, say, on a glorious June morning. The prophet Isaiah speaks to the people of Israel as they lie in exile in Babylon. Our verses this morning are part of an extended prayer of lament to the Lord. Despite all the awesome things, as Isaiah writes, that he, the Lord, has done for them, the people of God have turned away from the Lord. They know that they have done wrong, and yet they know that he is their father, that everything in their lives comes from him. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. They know as we can know, and from which we can take ultimate assurance in our lives, that God is sovereign that he is the Lord of all history and that despite what was going on all around them as they lay broken in exile and indeed what is going on all around us in our world of anger, division and conflict. Despite what is going on all around us, we know that when we pray, The Lord looks upon us, in Isaiah's words, with pity and compassion. And he extends his grace to us as he did to the people of Israel then. The form of this grace is the infant for whose coming to this earth we wait with anticipation in this season of Advent. The grace of God that is given freely in and through the person of Jesus Christ despite all that we have done and all that we continue to do. And yet the words that Jesus declares to his disciples in our gospel this morning from Mark chapter 13 are not immediately ones of comfort. They come in a succession of warnings to his followers to be alert, to be watchful, cautioning them against events that he says are going to happen in that generation. In the past, many took the start of our gospel reading this morning and the verses preceding it as apocalyptic imagery, foretelling the impending return of Jesus to the earth after his ascension back to the Father in heaven. It appeared perhaps that Christ was predicting to his listeners that he would return in their lifetime. However, more recent scholarship has identified the first part of our reading with Jesus' foretelling of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the legions of Rome, which happened in 70 AD. Not of itself earth-ending, although an utterly traumatic and epoch-defining moment for the Jewish nation, and hence Jesus' audience for this teaching. But there seems to be no getting away from it that the second half of our gospel does indeed look forward not to the temple's demise, but to when Jesus will return to the earth at the end of time, 
as divine judge of us all. And yet he says that he himself doesn't know when this moment will be, but only his and our heavenly father knows. Hence his exhortation to us in this passage and through multiple preceding parables that we've explored as we've journeyed of late through Matthew's gospel, the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, the sheep and the goats. Hence Jesus' exhortation to us all to be on our guard. As he says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Some of you may recall one of the original John Lewis seasonal TV adverts when the young boy who couldn't wait for Christmas Day to arrive was the centre of our attention. We were all led to think, like his parents, that his motivation, as he stared at the falling snow outside the window, drummed his fingers impatiently on the tabletop, hoovered up his dinner, and even, uh, if you remember maybe, uh, in his wizard fancy dress of pointy hat and starry cloak, he tried to cast a spell to make the kitchen clock spin round and time accelerate towards the 25th. His intention, so it was thought, was to get the presents that his parents had bought for him more rapidly. The twist, of course, is that our young hero's desire for Christmas morning is not because he wants their present to him, but that he cannot wait to give his gift to them. Our loving Heavenly Father has already given us the greatest gift possible. Jesus Christ, light of the world, his only son, through whose crucifixion and resurrection all of our sins have been forgiven so that we can enter into right relationship with our creator once again. The gift of divine grace in and through Jesus offered freely to each and every one of us. But this reaches to the very heart of Advent. It's a season both of this gift of grace and also of the response that in the words of T.S. Eliot in his four quartets costs us not less than everything. We're called individually and collectively as God's people to respond faithfully to Christ's call on our lives. The fact that his grace is utterly free doesn't mean that we can sleep through our lives, but that rather, in the words of our second hymn, coming up in a moment, a translation of uh, Bach's famous Wacht auf, we are called to be sleepers who wake, alert, vigilant, responsive to the call that Christ has placed on our lives, on all of our lives. Expectant in prayer, confident in the gospel we all share and courageous in our witness to the good news of the love of Jesus Christ for all. In the words of today's collect that we just shared, it's my prayer that to each one of us in this Advent season, almighty God, You will give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armour of light. In Jesus' name, I pray this. 
and that in doing so, each one of us will shine brightly with the light of Christ, wherever he may lead us. Amen.